When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track podcast. I'm your host, Stu Whiffin. I hope you're all doing very well. It's another week, so it's another episode. And this episode was a joy to do. I went up to WeWork in Liverpool Street, where my good friend Ben uh, gave me a, a, a lovely little office space to record him. And it was also Ben that introduced me to today's guest. And, and that man is Tim Dello. Um, he's the boss man at Transgressive Records. And if you like your indie alternative guitar music, um, do you know what? I pigeonholed that a little bit there. If you like good music, I should say, then I'm pretty damn sure in your record collection you'll have a stack of things that have come out on Transgressive. I'm not going to list them because we talk about the, the acts that they've worked with over the over the years in the duration of this podcast. Um Tim was an absolute gentleman, a really nice person to chat to, and I'd never met him before. And I, and I think, as you listen to this podcast, you're you'll hopefully hear that um, we got on really well. And once we'd finished recording, we carried on chatting. And and again, like like so many of the guests that that, that live not too far from me and, and and grew up in similar places and that, our paths have never crossed until today. And so it was. It was really nice to, to finally get to sit down and, and, and chat and get to, to know Tim. So before we get on with the podcast, um, all the usual thank yous. So um, big thanks to the Distraction Pieces Network for putting this out. Thank you to my producer, 76, and thank you to my name is Ad for doing artwork. Just another quickie, um, if you like this podcast and you want to hear more then go and have a little look in the back catalogue because there's loads to get stuck into there we've loads of amazing guests that have had fantastic creative journeys and we talk about them and the music that a soundtrack that if you want even more there's a patreon page um, all of this can be found at www.offthebeatentrackpodcast.com and one more thing if you're looking into the world of podcasts and you want to know more then there's now an essential guide. It's called Pod Bible. Go and check it out. That's at www.podbiblemag.com. If you can't get hold of a, a printed copy, then go there and you can read the digital version and you can see interviews with Adam Buxton, Craig Parkinson, so many other people. Um, so much information on there. So it's your one-stop guide for uh, podcasts. Right, I'll shush now because I've been going for three minutes. Please enjoy 
off the Beat and Track podcast with the wonderful Mr. Tim Dello. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairware Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15, B-E-A-T-1-5, and that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Right, we are recording. We are at WeWork in London, uh, East London. And uh, my friend Ben has kindly uh, arranged this office in, in, in the WeWork building uh, for me to chat to today's guest, um, which is owner of Transgressive Records, Tim Dello. Hi. You all right? Yeah, very good, thanks. Nice to, nice to be here. It's good uh, being somewhere where we can do some PowerPoint presentations as well. Do some, it's know, the most <laughs> kind of um, sort of almost sort of hipster forward slash corporate yeah, it's, kind of environment. It's, it's, it's inspiring, I think. I'm definitely going to steal a pen on the way out. I think that's the... I've already got my one. <laughs> <Very good, very laughs> All right, well, look, um, this, this was put together. We've been trying to do this for maybe two months now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so maybe longer than that. Thanks for being patient. And, and, uh, uh, no, no, I appreciate your time. And, uh, and, it's, and it was put together by um, Ben, who has uh, given us this office today as well. Yeah. So um, big thanks to him. Okay, so over the next, I reckon about an hour, we're going we're gonna to talk about the tracks that you've sent over. And uh, and talk about yourself and transgressive and and you know your journey getting there and, yeah. and, and where you're taking it. Cool, sounds sounds good. So let's kick things off with the song with the greatest ever intro. Okay, the song with the greatest ever intro. Um, 
today because I think it always it always changes. Like it's it's nice uh, it's nice, but the one that came to mind at that point was um, uh, Sonic Youth's "Dirty Boots," um, which I love for loads of reasons. I think it's like the first time you press play on that CD or record or on however you listen to it, you hear. Um, you hear this kind of like, almost like, I think it's just delay guitars, but it's like this weird synthy, ma like magic. It has a sense of magic to it. And then from that, you go into this like amazing kind of typically Sonic Youth forward thinking sort of future of guitar sound that sort of like flows through that. And then suddenly you just get out of nowhere, all in the space of the introduction, just this piercing kind of almost classic rock riff before it goes into yeah. this real kind of like chuggy punk thing. And the whole song is just like, is mind blowing, but it's that exhilaration. Like you're kind of like wrong-footed three times with this like sense of magic. That's Sonic Youth, though, right? Yeah, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. But it's, it's, but it's really you don't have to like you can analyze it like that, but you don't have to understand it. It's just a, it's it's fucking exciting. Yeah. It just really gets you, yeah. you know, looking at the possibilities of what a band can be, and you know everything from like the salvation of rock and roll to its destruction and replacing with something like feminine and exciting and just just genius. Yeah. I love it. When I sort of, before I started doing these podcasts, I, I sort of set out the questions and I sort of looked at them all and tried to sort of think of as many examples of maybe what I would have put in there. Mm. And, I, and I think I had about six or seven for, for the first one, and one yeah. of which was Sugarcane. Oh, I love, I mean, um, I love, like, that Sonic Youth, they're good yeah. on intros. I was thinking as well. And that's an intro, that is such an intro. Again, that kind of strange sound, and then into a pretty ballsy rock riff, right? Yeah, that's the, like, that's a lot of the approach. I mean, I love off that, off, um, Goo as well. I love that uh, moat. It kind of starts with this. I think they've been listening to a lot of Public Enemy, yeah. and so it starts with this kind of like really disruptive partial. It's probably only about a second and a half of this kind of riff yeah. that most people would make a song out of, and then that just kind of like decomposes into static, and then yeah. it pull, pulls right the way down and lifts you up again yeah. with one of those weird synthy things. So it's all this this wrong footing, but within a kind of I guess at that stage pop context, which is exciting. Okay. But there's tons of great intros. Like I mean, like. I love all the like hip hop samples from the Wu Tang Clan, where they they have little like kung fu yeah. things like that as well, and you know just in like you know the Beatles had some good intros. Yeah. There's, like, which one? What which which? Because I Wu Tang had, um, or uh, no no oh. when we talk about the Beatles, the it's Beatles. really weird. When I had um, Josh Weller yeah. uh, on here, uh, Josh went for the Beatles. He's the only person that's had the Beatles so far, but he went for help, and I just thought. What a fucking great straight intro. In with that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's just straight, you're, you're straight in. I mean, that's actually quite interesting from a songwriting perspective because one of the things that I kind of struggle about, like lots of our artists, uh, and something we encourage is like trying to be like unique and eccentric. And um, Help is kind of a perfect pop song for today in a sense. Because Is there a chorus? It, it, well, it opens with the chorus. Is that the chorus? I would say. Right. And that's like, now, if you look at the songwriting textbook for how to... Um, how to get the most streams and things like that. And lots of people, particularly at larger labels, are quite cynical about this kind of approach. You want to come straight in with your chorus, like maybe a cut down version of it, then like a few bars of, of verse and then back in the chorus for 30 seconds. Right, can I, can I just interject there? Because last night I sat down with the MD of um, Defected Records. Oh, cool, yeah. Um, which is far different from transgressive. Mm -hmm. it's, it's more... I would say house Successful. music. Successful. Um, no, 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 house music, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of, 
and I asked him about, you know, as, as, as a label owner, like, um, how do you, um, w- when you're a and in, mm. like, how important is that intro? And he was saying, well, I guess it's where it's that more DJ element to, to what they do, then it hasn't got to be a bang because it's got to be mixable. And so for someone that is more, I'm going to use the term loosely, like an mm. indie label, yeah, yeah. you know, um, What's your kind of approach to that then? Um, I think we're we're conscious of the market, but also perversely always try and push against it slightly because I think you have like the greatest songs are enigmas, whether it's Bohemian Rhapsody or like Paranoid Android. Like these songs like shouldn't be hits on paper, but they are some of the greatest songs of all time and and massive hits. And uh, uh, you know the environment that we live in now is far different from you know unless have it right I guess by the time they put out Paranoid Android they'd already had Creep High and Dry and the more radio friendly material to maybe give them that that. platform to but then you have like I mean I'm I'm not a massive uh, fan of this band but I think if you like listen to like 1975 which is like you know their their songs aren't playing by particular rules and I think because they have a a mythology because they have a um, kinship with their audience and a really direct communication there it still kind of it still kind of works and people go with them on that and I I think it is possible I I heard this really interesting um, breakdown recently where they were talking about um, Billie Jean and that's obviously like a classic song and um, it starts with just a drum beat for like four bars and then you get the bass line for like another four bars and then you get synth stabs for like another four bars and that's what makes it great because you're like in it's like on great yeah. disco songs same as like Noel Rogers if you were songwriting that or workshopping that now to be a hit you'd open with like Billy Jean like yeah, straight in with yeah. and it would kill the song there's yeah. no like it's kind of like we're trying to make uh in the way that if you look at how porn has developed on the internet, it like narratives kind of went out the window in the seventies. I've not seen and a door-to-door salesman I've, or a window cleaner. I have not seen pornography for a long time. So that's cool. I'm not judging. I'm not saying I, it's something I do regularly, but I, I, it's uh, like it's always fascinating because I think yeah. it kind of plays on like the, the most basic human compulsions. Worst pun and, like, ever, but it is straight to the money shot now in music and literally. And yeah. I think that there's something quite. Uh, degrading and degenerative about that uh, and, and ultimately unfulfilling. It's an unsatisfying thing because, you you know, sometimes, you know, or in food, like, you know, everyone loves the occasional dirty burger. That's like a great, a great thing mm. and can be the best meal of your life. Mm. But at the same time, there's something wonderful about having like a three-course meal, like play out and like, you know... Well, it's the journey for all of these things, isn't it? Exactly. And I think that, um, I think the music as we go through and now we kind of like level out in a place where it's not such a disaster for the music industry and we're looking at income streams actually kind of coming back and things like that. It's about leveling out away from that quick fix and getting into a space yeah. where you have like both exist you know yeah. i love like you know i listen to a lot of motown i listen to a lot of punk i think they're really similar like like so often yeah. just like straight in exciting exhilarating mm-hmm. songs but also you know i'll sit there and listen to steve reich's music for 18 musicians which fundamentally does the same thing for 70 minutes mm. and it's massively rewarding and that's yeah. you know they both have their place i think and that's yeah, okay. That's the fun of it. So that's yeah. well for track two, Tim. I'm going to ask you to select the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you. So uh, 
just being honest, <laughs> I think it was probably Baby Be Mine from Michael Jackson's Thriller. Um, I was really excited about music, really like really early on in my life. And to put a, a timeline on it, do you mind me asking how old you are? Uh, I'm 34. Right, okay. So, I mean, like way before... Like, this was old then, but this is kind of like, I guess, first experiences with music. You look at, like, your parents' collection. Of like, uh, my dad had loads of, like, tapes for the car. And I remember um, getting my uncle's old, uh, really crappy record player, like, single built-in speaker thing. And my dad lending me some records and stuff yeah. to play on as well. So, um, stuff like, some really great stuff, like Let It Be, uh, um, Let It Bleed, both of them. Uh, like, Stones and Beatles. Um uh, the police he was really into, and then on the like tape front, uh, Thriller, um, Lionel Richie, um, Thompson Twins, like not always the coolest. Oh, uh, Talking Heads, I remember like speaking in tongues, like not not the coolest ones necessarily, but just like great access yeah. points for music. But I mean, Thriller early on, I was really excited about because it was because um, the song Thriller and that kind of like world it created. But Baby in Mind, I picked because it's like it's early on in the album. Uh, the vocal delivery of that is just like stirring. And I think before your win, I mean, I must have been like, we're going way back, I must have been like six or seven and you don't know anything about adult relationships or sex or anything really uh, at, that, at that age, but you have this sense of lack and wanting and uh, like communication and desire for empathy, I think. And that all of that comes across really clearly in that yeah. vocal delivery. And, the other thing I love about that record and just all records at that time, and I'm kind of why for a long while I was all about records as opposed to seeing music live even, although I religiously went to gigs, um, is because you can kind of put them on and they exist in this other space. And Michael Jackson records, unless you're like spotty and get older, you don't sit there and be like, oh, that's the bass guitar, that's the whatever. You hear these sounds that all conspire to create something that stirs you in yeah. like this magical dimension that you, yeah. you can't see and can't feel and that that song really kind of captures that for me i think as well it's like it's just beautiful and quite quite simple but yeah um it's, there's a reason they sold so many copies out yeah and it's, you know it's everything else aside it's just a cracker isn't it's it? a really it's a really great record. i mean i think if you take off the mccartney track it's probably that's a given isn't it it's probably <laughs> maybe you know if you take off that and if you take off thriller and have those as just standalones yeah. as a like set that's it sounds cool now as well. You can't like, you know, I, I made, um, we're uh, working with this incredible band called Let's Eat Grandma um, and they're really into a lot of ASMR stuff like um, essentially like sound effects um, and stuff from like Foley design that you use in films um, which kind of trigger this, um, not in all people, but if, if you're one of the people that can feel goosebumps when you listen to music, you actually, it's the way your, your brain is wired and there are certain trigger Fuck, sounds. Fuck, really? Not everyone gets goosebumps listening to, record, uh, listening to music. Like some people do, some people don't. And I don't think it affects your enjoyment either, either way, but there are certain techniques you can do that, that trigger that. Um, physical response. Physical responses to music. And like, there's lots of um, weird YouTube videos uh, which you can sort of headphone and do sound around, surround sound things of kind of like getting your hair cut um, and it's like the sound of all the scissors around your head and things like that. And weird kind of like sound effects. Something like Sophie, who we work with as well, uses a lot of, a lot of uh, film technique sounds as well. But anyway, 
Michael Jackson really pioneered this, and particularly on his Dangerous record, which is, uh, I think most people see that as kind of like not one of the classics, if you're like yeah. a purist. It's like everyone's like, you know, off the wall, um, bad and, um, and thriller. But Dangerous, I, th I think, is with some judicious editing, perhaps his best record. If you like knock out, there's a, there's a 10 song, 40 minute version of, of Dangerous, which sounds like, you know, the stuff that The Weeknd's striving for now, which yeah. is like amazing, very like black, real, hard, these amazing sound effects. It's yeah. like a brilliant record. So, um, so yeah, I forget my point, but um, it's good. It's worlds again. It's yeah. like something you can't really yeah. explain and put your finger on. So, so where was you born? Uh, I was born in uh, in Brentwood. Well, born in Allsett, but um, yeah, grew up in Brentwood. Allsett um, Hospital. Yeah, born there myself. Ah, good, good, good <laughs> thing. I mean, yeah, that's um, yeah. So, yeah, Essex boy, really. That's that's the history. And uh, and and Brentwood was a slightly different place, I imagine, growing up to what it is now. Yeah, I mean, I think because uh, uh, I guess a lot of listeners Essex hearing is, this will yeah. be, you know, generally sort of put when you hear the words Brentwood. Unfortunately, that, that yeah. does pop into the mindset. Now. I mean, I think it was a... Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Like, in... Um I guess the, the the late 80s, early 90s, when I was re like really young, it was nice places like green, leafy, yeah, absolutely. like loads of like bike rides. Um, and I think when I got into music and stuff as well, for the first time, it was great because it had a kind of classic British high street, I guess. And mm -hmm. that meant we had an independent record shop in Trump's that mm -hmm. was amazing for all new stuff. It had an hour price. It had a Menzies. It had uh, Smith's. Uh, which were great for all like bargain bin seven and, uh, CDs and tapes and stuff, um, and it also had an incredible second-hand record shop. Um, before everyone kind of got into the value of vinyl, you could get stuff like 
I've got like a first pressing of the Clashes London Calling in perfect condition, which like still has the sticker on it from that shop. And it was six pound fifty. It's like these are, yeah. you know, they were things that were affordable. Yeah. But, um, that really turned me on musically. So that was that was cool. Well, um, the, the the fact that we're sort of now talking about, you know, going record shopping and and and, and getting a bit older. So it sort of leads us on to track three, really, which is the the, the song that reminds you of your school days and and I'll, I'll let you announce it but looking at it we're talking secondary school here yeah I thought um I, I romanticized being being pre-teen enough to take a leap into secondary school um and uh the track I've chosen for this is our Arsenal by at the drive-in um there was loads I could have chosen um I mean I was really into like post-rock really into kind of cat power pavement all of those kind of great um, lo-fi stuff yeah all, all that stuff was a real favourite oh, I mean Spiderlands still one of my favourite albums really I, I, I you know worship at that at that altar and it's been really influential in the kind of music that we put out actually as a label as well but um, the 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 reason I chose this track in particular is it wasn't I would say a vintage time for music around then. Like you had kind of fairly generic clubby stuff. Um, you had, um, there was some good like commercial hip hop stuff now that I really love. Like the Neptune's productions around them were really great. You had like Missy Elliott, like Outkast, things like that were, were really strong. And I was starting to open my mind to more pop possibilities at that point, but still, especially in, in Brentwood as a bit of an outsider, mm -hmm. like it, it seemed like the alternative back then was just new metal, which I hated, yep. like couldn't, I found like I've always, it was really confusing for me because I've always been drawn to heavy music. I loved like, like you know, Nirvana, probably like the most important gateway band for me. Yeah, um, of course. And I felt like the new metal thing was taking all of the like, sensitivity all the like the queerness i guess out of that music and just yeah. like making it for jocks and relentlessly pummeling you with this like dumb violent shit with no no end to yeah. it and and to and to take that back to nirvana as well and 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 it was heavy and it was the complete anti-jock yeah. yeah but it still had the sensibilities of Motown and things like that. Possibly, oh. never mind what, I would say yeah. possibly the greatest pop album ever made. Every single track on the album is a stone so cold sick. single. Yeah, it's yeah. just perfect hooks throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I love it. And I think, you know, Kerr, he, he was ambitious and he wanted to make pop music. He loved like, you know, I know Devo was a big influence of them who yeah. kind of always deconstructed pop. Yeah, he loved ABBA as well. So, you know, um, proof that nobody is perfect and I know they're very trendy uh, to, to quote at the moment from a songwriting yep. from but I'm still struggling with them slightly honestly <laughs> but anyway this this choice came about because um, it was uh, it was a record I remember putting on the common room or my friend putting on the common room and it cleared it <laughs> um, and it was really powerful because it had all of the heaviness it was produced by Ross Robinson who did he produced like Slipknot and Korn and like loads of that heavy stuff. He was the go-to producer for he new was metal, the go -to wasn't he? New metal producer, but this, like, lyrically, it was like uh, the Smiths meets Sunny Day Real Estate, kind of like these like sci-fi romantic mm. 
alternative, heartfelt things. And it had that kind of like punch and power, but it had melody and uh, a, like a genuine alternative sensitivity to it. Yeah. And, and I loved it. And like their Jules Holland performance at the time, I remember just Fuck like, me. That's, I wanted to talk about that. It's like they... Um, Was it One Arm Scissor? Yeah, they did One yeah. Arm Scissor. And they were just explosive. And it's like, for me, it's like the, the best thing ever being on Jules Holland. They, they nicked uh, Robbie Williams, who followed up with Angels afterwards, I think. They nicked his <laughs> stool from... Uh, and they were like jumping off his stool. Yeah. And like, like and it's been a, a benchmark for like... We talked about it. The first time we had uh, like Foles on later, we were like... Let's let's do it, and we kind of did the song properly, and it was a great energetic performance, a great performance. But you can't you can't force these things. And I've seen like you know idols who I love, like mm-hmm. great band, they kind of went for it a bit in terms of like breaking out of that outside yeah. space and performance yeah. space. But it's still, I think Iggy went right at that performance yeah, space, yeah. didn't he? Iggy, like I mean, I mean Iggy's on that album as well. Like yeah. he's he's on. Um, he does a, like a great track there, and it's like his, his kind of like almost his uh, when he goes into his like Sinatra croony yeah. voice on it, which is but just yeah. erratic. And this record has become like more special because I mean, Relationship Command now it is like Slim probably in my in my top ten albums ever, and we had the honour of reissuing it. I was going to say there's a connection for Transgressive as well, isn't there? Yeah. So um, I mean, we've always loved this record, and everyone like I mean, we loved them as a band but this record in particular and it was when it was coming up to my um my stag do and people had started trolling me pretty hard just like winding me up uh my dear friend like kept lying about the date and got me like dropped off at finsbury park station with just a toothbrush and had to like walk home and things like that they were like doing lots of pranks to kind of you know because i'm a popular guy (laughs) everyone likes um (laughs) and um and I got this email through from Tony from At The Drive-In through our contact form on the page being like, oh, do you want to reissue like our first and last albums? And I was like, I'd already written like, fuck off Toby thinking it was yeah. like another thing. I thought, I'm going to just go with it in case it's not a prank, yeah. in case no one's winding me up. And I replied and I was like, yeah, of course we would. And it turned out it was him. Um, we had a call and they were uh, into the label because of... I guess our sensibility, they really like Foles and stuff as well, which is like a great like thing for them to hear as yeah, well. And, um, and so we put out their, their first and last albums again and got them like on vinyl for the first time in years and in print and available. And, um, and we did the only piece of like new music we did from that era was um, we were always looking to like left foot as they were. Um, and so we got uh, this amazing uh, minimal techno guy called The Field to do a remix of One Arm Scissor, which was like, he turned into like a kraut rock, seven-minute pulsing thing. And uh, it was quite divisive amongst the fan base, I remember, and we were just like, yeah, job done. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we, yeah. what we sought to do. But yeah, they're amazing. And, you know, they've obviously since toured together made another record again. To That's get right. Sense, which is a really good album, just, I think. just finished well. the tours, haven't they, I think? Yeah, they have. Yeah, they've done album and EP and... Live, they're, they're unbelievable still, and I, like the lineups changed um, on this last iteration. But honestly, like from seeing them at many points in their mm. career, I think that they're they're the best they've been like now. I yeah. think they're really good. It's like together and yeah, and, yeah really well, special. I, I, I should interject to to, to you listening now, and, and obviously you know this podcast comes out the Distraction Pieces Network, which is owned by Scroobius Pip. Scroobius Pip um, had Cedric uh, guest 
um, at the end of last year uh, on one of his Distraction Pieces episodes, and it's an absolutely fascinating listen. So uh, just a heads up there. Go and give that one a listen. Definitely. I, yeah, I mean, he's a he's a real character, and um, he's like one one of my favourite Instagrams as well because he's got these. He has twin sons, um, and it's basically half of his posts are just them playing with Star Wars toys. It's hilarious, but Fantastic. they're they're going to be rock stars, obviously. So, so school, enjoy it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had like um, think. Uh, primary school really enjoyed secondary school less so I like I went to uh, Brentwood school um, and I think I was a bit chippy because um, I've been at a normal comp before that and uh, I had a, like went into it with a kind of um, you're all posh twats attitude and I don't think that was probably the best foot to get off on yeah um, and so I mean I did have like uh some of the, like classic uh, bullying things that you would expect and things, but I found like a really good core group of friends, and I have really good friends out of school as well. Um, and you know, I started my first bands then. And um, with people from school, or uh, yeah, one one person from school, and also people out of school. In fact, Ben, who's uh, who's given us this room, his his best friend at the time was a guy called Rob Forks, who um, he was. Uh, I was. Uh, in the scene with his uh, with his brother, his, who was in a hardcore punk band, um, well, actually more of a kind of like, oi, you know that kind of like. All oh, right. Uh, Chelmsford had a bit of a scene of like skins and stuff like yeah. still thing, which is like a, it's a like a confusing, I have confusing and conflicted memories about that time as well because I think you know a lot of people that are attracted to that. You have a real. There's some mixed messages with that music. There's some mixed messages with that music, and you have a lot of older people who interacting with really young, impressionable people as well. And I think there is a it's a strange culture. It's kind of like the th the thing I've seen it best on is uh, I guess like um, is it uh, this is this is England mm -hmm. that, uh, like that film and stuff as well, where you have these. You find, found yourselves in spaces. I mean, obviously, like that was more extreme and decades before, but it still had that feeling of you. You find yourself in a space and you're not quite comfortable in it, yeah. and a situation and feeling can kind of change mm. quite quickly. And you're kind of there because you're drawn to like music passionately, mm. and that's sometimes used quite negatively, I think, as well. Yeah, but, there was. Um, I, I remember, um, you know, going back to the early '90s and. And I, I run a night in, in Basildon. Mm. Like, it was my first ever sort of alternative like club night that I put on. And there was a, a band called Blaggers ITA. Right. And, uh, and, and they've just kind of blown up a bit. And, and they've, they've been touring heavily with like the Mannix and, and stuff like that. And, uh, but I think it was the front man um, had, was, was a former member of Combat 18. Right at the time, which was a very, very hard kind of right-wing, mm. um, just scumbags. Yeah. And he'd walked away, and then this band was the anti-that. And I booked them to play. Yeah. And, uh, and about a week before, we had the whole venue had, like, 
Combat 18 sprayed all over the outside of the venue and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was like, it's intimidating. Wow. When I, I was young, I was only like 19. And I was like, well, yeah. I can't put what this on. Well, like, you know, I, I, it's it's. I mean, like I used to go to like the Army and Navy in Chelmsford was a really important. Um, like going up so it's like it started at the Y which I always found a really great safe space that's, and saw some incredible stuff there and so are you do you know John Dunn yeah yeah because that's where he started as well of course of course is, um, and like similar things but the, you know you, once once you find these spaces like you go out and you see everything and so it would be like sometimes you'd see some incredible things like I think I saw like Electrolane at the Army and Navy which is like one of their first gigs which is like amazing yep. like bands like Seafood and things like that which yep. I like, loved but then I was at both him shows. On the, on, the, on the other on the other side of it, you'd see like whatever Scar Punk band was playing, and then the Scar Punk band would often have like different supports and different. Yeah. You'd got different factions mm -hmm. coming down, and it was yeah, it was a it was a strange strange time. Uh, learned a lot, and I think I'm probably a lot softer now than I was then as yeah. well. I mean, uh, but anyway, I was I was quite like. Uh, Chippy, but I start I started the band with uh, yeah Ben's really good friend and my friend's older brother. So um, yeah, my uh, schoolmate was in uh, one of these like punk bands called the Filaments, who did pretty well. And his brother was yeah they done alright didn't they? I yeah yeah them. yeah. And his brother uh, was this guy called Rob who um, he was into like pavement and shellac and stuff like that as well. And he and my other schoolmate formed our first like proper band together, which was like a like kind of hardcore math rock kind of thing and we we toured together and actually I like started my first label with him as well like way back so so uh, Ben also did mention to me that you, you you'd already started doing like a fanzine as well yeah yeah I did like um I did a fanzine called Roadkill for um infrequently for years but um that was how I learned a lot about how the music industry worked I kind of got in touch with my first PRs um I uh made CDRs on it as well, so I had to like license tracks, so like learning how how that worked and like going out and selling them and trying to yeah, trying how to old do you them? Oh like sixteen. That's around, fantastic around mate. as well. So yeah, it was it was good fun. Yeah. And I remember like some of my like like life highlight moments were um I did a big feature on seafood and they were like, Oh yeah, you can sell it on our merch stand if you want and I did like the merch at their Yulu gig uh and um Steve Lamack had come down to see it and I remember trying to give him one because I was just like, oh, I just really appreciate it. Like, you've got to check out this music and he insisted on paying for it. I was just like, you're a good guy. This is like, it was so yeah. nice because uh, he knew, he's like, he, obviously he'd done that kind of thing as well. And yeah. He knew like the difference that a couple of quid yeah. would make to me being able to make more of him and stuff. And yeah. that was that was great. I made, yeah, made lots of good friends there and, and I got into a different world. It was the first time I, I sold them into like rough trade shops. So when we did the label, that's how I knew how to approach yeah. kind of like, that's really Those people impressive. Stuff as well. So that was, yeah, that was my start. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I can't play them. It's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Okay, so track four, the first record that you bought. Uh, the first record I bought. So uh, this one is a bit of a lie, because I think the first, first record I bought was probably Off the Wall by Michael Jackson, because mm-hmm. as you can probably tell, I was obsessed with the guy yeah. when I was younger and that as well. But the fir- like one of the first ones that like made an impact um, was, uh, and a bit later probably, um, although I was still like, I don't know, it's probably 10 or whatever, was uh, was Blur. And the, the song that I picked is uh, This Is A Low Off Of Part Life. I think like that was um, before those Army and Navy days and stuff and before I got into like lo-fi, which actually like Graham Coxon saying he was into Dinosaur Jr. and stuff like that helped set me on a path, definitely. Mm. That was, you know, a great, they were a great gateway band, yeah. I think, to, to all music. And, you it's know. It's strange that Blur, wasn't it? Because... You know, they're the band I've seen more than any other band, and and uh, a great band to see a lot. <laughs> and and saw them, literally. Well, they played the Pink Toothbrush when Leisure come out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, saw them play so many small venues throughout modern yeah. life and and stuff like that. And then right the way through to seeing them at their pop biggest, yeah. like Great Escape stuff at like Wembley and <laughs> things like that. But um, where was I going with this? But it was it, that was it. So when they were modern life it was all like we're English mm. like why is everyone talking about grunge like this is what's happening and then just in his style of guitar playing you just thought Graham Coxon is not listening to the kinks right now <laughs> like he's listening yeah. to stuff from over the pond I guarantee it well like, I mean there's the part of the reason they're a great band is they're a band of contradictions within that within that lineup and I've been lucky enough through Transgressive to release records from both Graham and Damon mm. separately we did Graham's uh, Spinning Top album which is unbelievable kind of prog folk record really mm. yeah, it's, a, it's a concept album it's just one of the best things we've put out I think and then from Damon, we've collaborated on his Africa Express project. So we put out uh, the Maison de Jeune record, which has a lot of his his songs on it, and you know, it's his brainchild. And uh, and following that, um, uh, a interpretation of uh, Terry Riley's In Sea in Mali, and um, the um, uh, Orchestra of Syrian Musicians album as well, which all like been beautiful and very rewarding. And we've we've worked with him as well with acts in other collaborations that will be coming out moving forward. So I feel like we've seen we've seen both sides of those personalities and they are they are opposites. Yeah. And and they obviously love each other and they yeah. have a like 
deep deep friendship that's kind of bigger than whatever the politics are. But I think every Morrissey needs a ma, right? Yeah, every Morrissey <laughs> needs a ma. But they've had the good sense to broadly, like yeah. broadly, stay together and, yeah. and a degree of compassion, I think, for each other, which has has made that um, made that a good thing. But um, I think that, that it was that Blur album probably afterwards, the album Blur, where they started going like, let's, yeah, let's give this to Graham a bit. And, yeah. and that's where it was kind of like, yeah. yeah. I remember actually on the XFM, Graham did this amazing um, takeover. They had the takeover slot on Sunday night and he played, Trail of Dead was the one that I really remember, but he was playing like Nate Palm Death and stuff like that. He was playing like really yeah. heavy, so he just got into skateboarding in a yeah. big way. I was just like, fucking hell, like you tuned yeah. in expecting, I don't know what you were gonna expect, yeah. but you know, it was, it was a great, Great thing, and his first solo album as well. I love the sky's too high. Is just like, yeah. it's like Lena Cohn record, but lo-fi. Yeah. It's beautiful and yeah, real. Both geniuses. Um, but the, this is a low was was a key song because I kind of they were a boy band essentially for me at ten, and yeah. I was as much into like, I mean, I hadn't. I was just discovering the enemy probably. Yeah. Um, I think my my mum's friend bought me my first enemy because um, I was like my the music press that was being marketed to me was like Top of the Pops magazine and Fast Forward and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So it like, Fast forward. it was like, uh, like Blur to an extent may as well have been E17 yeah. for me. Yeah. Like they were the, in the same thing. And so you kind of turn up for Girls and Boys and Part Life, which mm -hmm. are the ones you'd heard. And now listen to that record and there's tracks in it like Clover Over Dover and this is a low, like pointedly where you're just like, this songwriting is just, Classic, yeah. actual, the actual genius, and always finish on this is a low. All the gigs I saw on that always finished on that it's track. Power, like it's a powerful song. It's a, yeah, incredible song, mm. and like I think that sense of it's, it's again they capture a kind of feeling. It's very hard to very hard to describe what yeah. makes it so special, but it, it does does really connect. And I think I th I think the, the through line for so much of this music is a sense of imagination and a sense of like inspiring like an imaginative visual reaction within you as well as a as well as an oral one and and that's yeah it's compelling solid choice mate thanks <laughs> track five tim so uh, you've left school i hope and uh, and it's the song that soundtrack to your clubbing years okay so i thought about this one quite a lot um and again, decided to err with honesty. So, like coming coming out of Essex, my first like club experiences were awful, really. Like after the army and navy and stuff, like just kind of going out and uh, because one had to go out somewhere and stuff. So like awful things like Viv and Elite and Faces and stuff like that, like terrible Essex clubs, really. Mm -hmm. um, and a good friend of mine, uh, she she DJed and managed to blag into some really good like alternative nights and that. And that was really cool. But um, my reaction, my like engagement properly with clubbing was when I came uh, came to London for uni, and um, I guess started going to like I went to like really cool like electronic and hip hop nights at like Plastic People, and also got into like some really good like gay club stuff as well. Like uh, there was a great uh, night called Pop Stars at the Scala. My best mate was, was the DJ. Like it played like incredible things, and and I've always was that the Scala when it three yeah, floors. Yeah. And that and that was great because each of you had the kind of like he done eighties upstairs. Yeah, so that was the like yeah. like the super gay old yeah. school, and and that was great. And and then you had like the main room was like uh, indie ish, right. wasn't it? It was indie ish, but I, I mean I saw like a Latigra PA there, yeah. which is unbelievable. And hearing um, 
hearing like talked pop music through those kind of speakers yeah. in that kind of environment it was just so inspiring yeah. like, I remember like one of the best New Year's I had out ever I, I went out with my now wife and um, it was Kelly from Block Party and his partner at the time um, just going out there that time so like so exciting and and all of that was all of that was great but the the club that really kind of connected to me and the only club that I went to religiously week on week on week was Trash and that. that was like at that time like it was so it was a, such a sp safe space it was so inclusive but it was also exclusive in that you get it started to get a word for itself and it was the first club I've been to like from being in Essex where the door policy is like if you've got trainers you're not coming in it became this thing of like you'd stand outside and I remember a bunch of like city boys trying to get into uh, into it and me like queuing up with all my mates and things like that and the uh, girl on the door being like look guys you're not going to come in like that like these people, they've made an effort. They're coming in. Yeah. And like we're there, and like I'm just in like a too tight t-shirt and awful flares and like yeah. thirst and more floppy hair. But yeah. um, it was great, and it was the first time I enjoyed dancing. Really, yeah. I mean, like I, I did. We had some good times. You've completely well, echoed what but. Russell. Lissac said. Well, yeah, he used to go. Like we used to go <laughs> together and stuff as well. I'd see him there all the time. It was. It was just unbelievable. And we saw like they had great gigs there, and you always, you always, it was so like. You turn up and they'd be like, "Oh, there's the Strokes and Interpol because they're in town." Like I remember, fucking one of my Interpol. Yeah, like, I mean that's like, just mental, isn't just it? Like, well, these... my my favourite trash story was uh, I'd been dancing all night. It yeah. was crazy o'clock, shit faced. I'm sat down with a few friends uh, and up walks this incredibly drunk lady. Uh, really high, and she's like, "Get the fuck out of that chair!" I look up and it's Courtney Love. I was like. No, we're sitting in this chair. She's like, oh, all right then. I'm going to buy the chair off you. I was like, okay. She's like, how much do you want for it? I'm like, I'm a student. I'm like, 50 quid. She's like, okay, okay. Reaches into a bra, pulls out 20 quid. She's like, I'll give you 20 now and 20 when you fuck off out the chair. So I took the 20. And I was like, actually, I think we're going to stay. And she's just like, oh, fuck you. And then went off actually trying to, trying to pull Kelly from Block Party, which was a fun experience. It <laughs> 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 didn't, didn't really work out for her on that one. But it was, it was really, I was just like, fuck, I've just met, uh, met Courtney Love. And it was so rock and roll. And That's it was mental. awesome. And I was like, I went out and bought um, the Teenage Fan Club Judd Fair record with that 20 yeah. quid. Um, and I remember telling, well yeah, it was. I mean, that album is is beautiful. But it's like the whole feeling like Errol did such a cool thing with that club, and it got like opened my mind to so much different music. And it's it's a real. It was it was just inspiring. It's so strange. Like that was your your youth, and my youth was was um, the Gas Club in Leicester Square for a night called Automatic, right. run by Jeff Automatic, uh, and the. The nine o'clock till ten o'clock warm-up DJ was Errol. This young lad, and uh, and then it was literally when obviously Trash blew up, and and at which time I was probably a bit too old to be to be going clubbing, and uh, and I was just like, all I was hearing was Errol and Errol and I was thinking, that's fucking Errol from the Gas <laughs> yeah, Club, yeah, like. <laughs> And uh, yeah, but I mean, right. he's he's an absolute gentleman and a brilliant. I mean, his label fantasy is 
incredible. His remix is great. His production work is brilliant. I mean, he produced some really great, like mm. um, Mystery Jets, again, like good friends of mine in the band we've worked with over the years. He did their second record, and I think that's a classic. And he's recently done the new Ride record. And um, he's, he's just a real, like, a real proper, passionate music yeah. person. And what, what that club was really special. So the track I chose was LCD Sound Systems, Losing My Edge, which is probably not the most played track there. I could have gone for like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, or, or Yeah, in fact, by uh, LCD, but... The that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did play? Yeah, well, they like, played yeah. there, and, and yeah, it was really, it was really like it was a really fun time. Um, and I, I mean, everyone played there. I remember um, Jarvis Cocker doing his relaxed muscle thing there, and yeah. he turned up at the front in a like skeleton balaclava onesie. Um, and he opened up a bag of pills and was just chucking pills into the audience. I was just like, this is crazy, <laughs> like just you know, in, insane stuff. Um, but it was it was a really fun time and it, kind of a template for for what a good clubbing experience could be. Yeah, absolutely. And I was living in Wood Green at the time, and we'd just get the night bus back afterwards. Just like were two night buses back afterwards, and it was um, yeah, it was a pilgrimage. What a great time to yeah. be at that age in yeah. that club. It was really fun because it was it's also like it was when we were starting transgressive. Really, we were on the verges of of that, and so we were kind of like trying to sign bands that were becoming the support bands for these kind of like your that new york scene and things like that as well and um it's so a let, great meeting place let, can we talk about that a little bit now yeah, yeah so so the idea of, of forming a label was that a natural progression from being in bands and the fanzine and stuff like that to, yeah. right well let's obviously you say you licensing music and putting a cd out with the fanzine anyway so yeah. i guess a natural step yeah it was i mean it started really with actually like block party with which was uh, rob who i talked about before he and i started the first record label together um when we did two singles and then the band split up and we split like, our friendship kind of um it didn't really work out like we it didn't really sure. work out so it, we um went our separate ways and that but the first band that we put out was block party who was like kelly was um my friend from uni um and before that um we we met on the billy mahoney message board and i put on like their first gig at the verge uh and and things like that it was like real real kind of like early day stuff yeah. and he things were starting to happen um and he was getting better and better and better but he didn't really have an uh anyone wanting to put out the first single properly so i was like yeah we'll do it definitely this will be cool and um and that was that was how that came about and then after that i remember talking to his manager who introduced me to a guy called phil murray who's like still very successful in the music industry a really great manager um and he was managing the rakes and he was like yeah you should do that as your second single and it was like a, it was a gift and that was 22 yeah. grand job which i loved and then after that it was um I met Toby, uh, actually introduced by Kelly again, who was like a definitely, I mean, I haven't actually seen him in years, um, but he was, he was definitely a real kind of like social glue for me early, yeah. early on in that. And, and he knew Toby because Toby was putting on the block party gig. Yeah. I was trying to sell the seven inch at said gig. Yeah. And um, he was like, you two should, should meet. And that's how we, we started the label. And we were just like, let's sign our favorite live band at the moment, which was the Subways. And, um, and that's how Transgressive started. We just started. The Subways? Yeah, yeah, we, that was our first, tr the first Transgressive single was the Subways, oh, yeah. right. And, um, and it was great. And one of the last things played on John Peel, which was like very exciting for us. Yeah. And just like, they were great, like garage rock band, still are a great, well, a great proper rock band now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so how did, how did you meet them? 
Um, that was through that, like, we were, Toby was doing these gigs at the Buffalo Bar, and he, he basically, I mean, he's a bit younger than me, um, and he was kind of uh, putting on so much hype. So he did all the early uh, Libertines gigs, um, and he was like the kind of Cameron Crowe figure. He was doing his own uh, yeah. webzine at the time, so like a step beyond my mm -hmm. paper fanzine, and um, called Brock Feedback. And he... Uh, he was getting all these interviews and all this access and putting on like once a month, he'd do a showcase gig there where he basically get all of the uh, hype bands that the A&Rs were clamoring for that, that month mm. and put them all in the Buffalo bar, set it out with a group of like great people, like real music fans and just enough industry to get everyone really hyped about that. And, um, and yeah, Block Party did one of those gigs. It was uh, Regina Spector who we ended up working with as well block party and I forget who, oh it was Gordon Raphael's band Crystal Radio were the first band right. on that night and that's that's where we met and um, yeah and uh, we just got on really well and I was really I didn't want to do a label by myself I, I, I always feel like collaboration like we have like a really like partnerships are so important I think to be balanced in music and, and succeed and um, I think having seen I've just felt instantly like a really special connection with Toby and um, we went to the pub and I was just like, look, I want to do this properly this time. I'll put up the money from like 500 quid from my dad and 500 quid from my student loan to get this started. We'll pick a single, we'll do it properly down the middle and then, yeah, it's developed. I mean, that's basically the principles now as well. I mean, and what was the first single? That was the Subways, yeah. So we did the Subways. What track? Uh, it was at 1 a.m., I want to hear what you got to say, and you got me as a three-track. We, right. we we tried to do the three-track singles to start with because yeah. we thought it was like value for money. Two yeah. on the B side, of the thirty-three. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've had Billy on. Yeah, he's a lovely guy. He's, he's smashing, isn't he? Yeah, really, really good guy. Again, I haven't seen him in in too long as well, actually. But he's great. Um, he does a lot of politics and stuff now as well, and, yeah. and yeah. You know, English scholar as well. Yeah. And, he's got yeah. his radio show over at Boogaloo. Yeah, yeah, indeed, right. indeed, with, with his, his wife. Yeah, yeah. With, Ro, with Ro, who's been yeah. on here as well. Ah, cool, good, uh, good uh, gang. So, okay, so what did you before we go on to track six? What, what did you sort of want from clubbing? Um. What did I want from club? I think it was experience at that stage. Like I was coming to London, I felt relaxed properly for the first time. Like I really feel like I used to sit in um, the, the coffee shop at Foils and get like one coffee and sit with friends, rolling cigarettes and just spending time, like actually by yourself, like reading in busy spaces and um, being like, thrifty and experiencing like the joys of a city without um and, and decompressing now i think that's the thing a lot lots of people struggle with big cities like london new york tokyo and things like that because they get distracted by the bustle i think it's an it's kind of like a zen thing if you can lock into your space in busy spaces um and experience like the things that it has to offer it's so relaxing it's so accepting and like london i think I've gone from a place where, like, um, in, in, like, Brentwood, I've had, like, people, like, shouting, like, fag at me for having a rough trade bag on, like, on, on like, my shoulder. Like, really, like, like quite, like, you know, it's, it's not... There's a great 
there's a great w weird Essex underbelly with like people like Grace and Perry and like you know Brit like some of the artists that we'll, we'll talk about like moving moving on and stuff and that as well but there's always been a like brilliant alternative through line there but also there's a sense of like be normal and I think it's a suburban thing it is it is and, and that's the that is the reason I set this podcast up I initially set this podcast up to be seven episodes mm. and and I wanted to do one and it'd be off the beaten track based on Essex mm. on that kind of how does someone facilitate a, a their, their, their journey mm. in an area which is generally not that necessarily encouraged within schools. Yeah, not at uh, all. And, and that mainstream club, or that mainstream culture yeah. of, no, no pun intended, get a 22 grand job in the city yeah, yeah. And, and, and just get on with it. Yeah. Like, you're not encouraged to, to start a fanzine and, no. you know, and, and put a CD out with it and, and, and things like that. And getting called a fag for having a rough trade bag. I mean, what the yeah. fuck? Do no, you know I what know. I mean? And, like, and I remember, like, being, like, on the way back from, like, the Y and things like that, like, being beaten up in Chelsea, which Chelsea's a really safe place, but mm. still just being... And, like, just for... Like, you can... Rebellion in Essex, I think, can literally be wearing, like, a pin badge on a blazer. Yeah. It's, like, a tight... Like, a tiny thing. Yeah. And... And when I came to London, like, immediately, I was just wasn't hassled. And, like, when I look at, like, some of the, like proper mavericks like we work with some people now who are like at the cutting edge of like uh fashion and identity building really and like ge like gender politics and all these like brilliant auteurs they walk down the street in london and no one hassles them yeah. at all because everyone is different and it's you know it's it doesn't matter like yeah whatever your like race is whatever your sexuality is whatever the lines between that are and like no one no one cares yeah and that i found like instantly relaxing so Taking it back to like the clubbing thing in in London, it was just adventures. Like I would yeah. say yes to everything. I went to some awful places and some yeah. great places, and 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 but found found a, a clique and found acceptance. And I think in Essex, I always felt like I was putting on a costume of like putting on some smart shoes and a, like Ralph Lauren. And the only thing about going clubbing was to try and pull probably yeah. I'll get you know get drunk and yeah. not get beaten up get into yeah. somewhere so that you were not left out should have come <laughs> to Rayleigh mate well I mean I have been I have been to the pink toothbrush before um, and my friend James a guy called James Howlett is a lovely lovely guy who again I haven't seen in years his gran lived really near it and was like one of the people always moaning about people coming out of it drunk and, <laughs> and, and, so, so, and we used to like so we went we went a couple of times and, and stayed there and also um there's some really good record shops around there, like... Uh, fives. Fives, and we used to go to Adrian's in... Wickford. Wickford as well, which is incredible, and, like, mm -hmm. just spend all our pocket money on, like, just going through, like... Because they'd never got rid of anything, so they'd have, like... If you're into super furry animals, you'd, like, go back, and they'd have, like, all the sevens yeah. stretching back. I, is it still there? Is yeah, it still, yeah. I, it's know, much, much smaller now. Yeah, prob probably. Uh, uh, it does, Adrian, uh, sorry, um, Fives in Rayleigh yeah, is no fives, more, but right. Fives in Leon C does still exist. Right, cool. Uh, so, uh, it's, it's holding in there. So while we're talking about Essex, so for track six, a favourite song from an artist from your hometown. So I guess, aside from what you've chosen, we can talk a little bit about some of the bands that have come out of Essex as well then. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, um, so my choice was uh, The Prodigy, um, and it was uh, No Good Start The Dance. And I guess, like... That for me again, I was too young for that record. Um, really, I mean, I, I bought that record, but I couldn't, 
I couldn't go like raving back yeah. then because I was, you know, I don't know, really young. Um, but I, hearing that, it reminds me of like the waltzes at fun fairs and like <laughs> the potential of what going out might be like, and yeah. just so exciting and exhilarating. And um, and I, I picked that because I feel like they were a band that, you know, their third album, which isn't as good as as Jilted Generation, but it's that album was like in US number one for the, like the first time for an English group since the Beatles or something stupid like that and it's the album that like made XL made Beggars really mm. like well no Beggars was a thing already but it was like it was a huge record yeah. and um, for that to come from somewhere so big from something so alternative originally like that you know experience before the uh, the, the album with No Good on it um, that was like cutting edge and for that to blow up it's like that journey always excites me music yeah. i really i feel like people um if you don't patronize them and you give them good good stuff then they'll normally go for it and yeah. the market can be really big and that's something we, we really encourage with our own acts for them yeah. to just try and try and actually try try and yeah. get big try and you know achieve something and that and that was that was quite exciting but I mean, I did have one Essex rave experience probably when I was about 15 or 16. I remember getting, um, uh, there was a, uh, a friend at school who'd come over from Australia and she was like one of those like 15 year old girls who looked a lot older. So again, got like loads of older guy mates and things and we'd be like tag alongs. I remember getting in the back of a transit van with no seat belts or anything like just sat on either side rattling around rattling around and going to a field in the middle of nowhere i had no like no idea where we were and this is like, like i probably had a phone you could text on but like no reception yeah i was got like really different days and i just remember it being like freezing cold there'd been like terrible weed with like that been like dipped in um acid and people were all like like again it's that thing of like Generationally in Essex, it's really weird because I, I was like, everyone here was really old. It was like adults, and we were like kids in it, and not, not in it like at yeah. all. And and that was like my one experience of a like field rave mm. uh, off the edges of, of anywhere. And I was like, this is really different to how Jarvis Cocker described it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not feeling peace and love. There's a guy with a dog on a bit of string. That's cool, but it's coming towards me. <laughs> and, um, um, yeah, a lot of fear. So I think like I think that's the thing. I felt like yeah, you know, coming to London was a great thing for me because and uh, something that I do. I, f I think it is nice to kind of get out of the suburbs and yeah, and go home because you kind of relax straight away. You're like you, you're not always feeling like a hiding is around the corner for. I mean, I'm like you've seen me coming. I'm like one of the most normcore looking guys ever. I'm like cis, like I'm so like average and yet. It felt up. at the time. No, but it felt it felt at the time. Yeah. That, um, uh, I, you know, there was that sense of, of otherness and differentness, and I think in you know that's the great thing about being in a metropolis. You can mm. you can flourish. Mm. So, we 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 spoke briefly before we started recording about oh. Lady Fuzz. So that was mm. an Essex band that yeah, that, that, yeah. that used to work with, Essex and, and obviously Hamburg. Yeah. <laughs> And then obviously Ben, who become Essa, yeah, yeah, was, and he was, really celebrated that culture as well. Like his his album that we did was uh, very, like fundamentally that Essex alternative thing. And yeah. I'll tell you what, I mean, I guess Russell was from Essex, wasn't he? From yeah, Black Russell, Party. Russell, and, and, yeah. and Billy was yeah, from Harlow. Billy, yeah, right. Harlow, indeed. So, yeah, uh, and so I mean, the I roots are there, mate. The roots are no, there. No, definitely. I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to pick on. Uh, 
I want to pick on Essex either. There's loads of great things about it. Well, and, you know, the, hor the horrors. I was going to say, that, that time when Lady Fuzz come out, in South End, there was, there was quite a little scene yeah. buzzing. I mean... Scroob come out at this point as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Get Cape, Wear Cape. Yeah. Like Sam just started putting music out then. Yeah. These new Puritans. Yeah. Um, Ipso facto. Yeah. The horrors. And I mean, like, the, you know, the horror. I, I think I might have played actually the first. Their night was called uh, Junk. Junk. Junk Club. And I think I might have. That was Reese's night, wasn't it? Well, yeah. So I think my first ever band might have played the first ever one. It was in the in the ballroom. And it was the I was basement in the, the Royal called, Hotel. Yeah, and I was in a band called The Cost of Living, um, who were terrible, like Sonic Youth Indebted, school mm -hmm. school band. I think we got like a first bill on kind of thing there as well. And it was like, that was that was a cool thing. But now like you look at, you know, like Farris from The Horrors, he uh, produced one of the tracks on the, or two of the tracks even on the Let's Eat Grandma album. And, you know, they're like, he's, he's done some incredible things and his art's and incredible yeah yeah he's like he's an incredibly talented guy literally walked past Reese two days ago uh, in Essex on, on the seafront yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm desperate to get one of them lads on um, I've been chatting to Farris on and off coming on and uh, because I really uh, and, and with Reese as well I mean Junk Club the, the, the I mean that that was uh, the closest you're probably going to get to something like trash in Essex yeah yeah really because it made me and the toothbrush mm. feel old and out of date. That's because I went there thinking it's another club trying to do what we do, mm. and I went in there and I was like, "Fuck!" Yeah, everybody looks incredible in here. It's mm. raucous, different, noisy, dank, and it was like this. This is this is something exciting here, mm. and, uh, and 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 literally, I, I sat down with the photographer Dean Chalkley the other mm. week. And and he said it was the the best night out in Essex in, in years. Mm. And he said I just literally saw a flyer, liked the artwork, so I went. And he said it just looked incredible in there. And in the middle of the night, they stopped the music, and I won a raffle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you want? What do you want from yeah, clubbing? Exactly. <laughs> Come home with a cuddly toy. But this is like. I mean, this is the thing. I think like influences, outside influences are really important. And, and that's something we really think about on a, um, on a label front massive is how you stay pushing forward and pushing the extremes of things. And that's kind of the heart of the mentality of, of Transgressive. Like um, Leela, who's the third partner on, on Transgressive, she had, uh, when she joined, she, she's from France originally and had a real like electronic background. And that's been like a really valuable uh, influence on this. Mike, who is an uh, is his A and R guy, and he's another Essex boy. Actually, he lives in Ilford, and he, um, you know, he he's younger still and grew up like he used to go through the uh, back window of the toilets to get into trash because he was too young to get in. So he'd literally climb through the window in the toilets, um, and that was his like first experience of <laughs> coming up to London and, and clubbing and stuff like that as well. So he's the touch points are there, but also it's like you know, what's next, what's next. And that's, you know, that's something that I think is really healthy. You have to keep challenging yourself. And the second you find some music that's uncomfortable or different, it's like, as a, as a label, it's our duty to kind of like understand its like cultural importance and try and reflect that and put that out without messing with it. And in its kind of purest and most exhilarating form. And that's, that's, a, that's part of the most exciting uh, challenge of the job now. And that's why we've released everything from like, you know, 
Flume and Sophie through to like Johnny Flynn and like the like stargaze like our like modern composition mm -hmm. artists and things like that that div diversity is really about like pushing out what's important and trying to make meaningful records that are which is a inspired. wonderful way to bring us on to track seven um, which is uh, as as dj and label boss uh, for this podcast um it's your opportunity to to pick a song that you think a lot of the listeners may not know and you'd like them to hear um, so I picked uh, Falling Into Me by Let's Eat Grandma, who are one of our uh, like most recent acts, I guess. Um, I picked the song because it doesn't play by, I just think it's one, it's one of the best songs we've ever released, but it doesn't play by those kind of rules and conventions. It doesn't open with a chorus. It's, you know, technically too long, but it's got everything. It's just great pop it's like for Didn't me so Ferris produced a couple of tracks yeah not not this one actually this mm -hmm. one's um, so Ferris and Sophie together did um, Hot Pink which is a brilliant single on, on the record and um, it's not just me off the album as well but this one was uh, the band did with David Wrench who um, is he's an, an, another absolute genius like one of the best mixers in the world I think probably the best mixer in the world at the moment he you know he did like um done stuff with Frank Ocean a lot with the XX um, and uh, yeah he, he worked on this track with them but this is you know archetypally like this band are, uh, I mean this album really like for me it's kind of like as good as Hounds of Love by Kate Bush it's like a soulful journey of an album and you cover so much ground in it and it really cuts to the core of uh, what it's like being a young person in England today. They're from Norwich, so they have that kind of... Norwich is a, is a quirky, cool city, yeah. um, but it's also outside, so it has that yeah. it has that sense of, you know, they were definitely the, the odd kids in town. Yeah. Um, but from that kind of feeling like that, that can push the best stuff for us. Yeah, well. definitely. And, you know, and I just think, you know, this album... Um, I think it, I think it is one of the best things we've ever released, um, and I think it will be in ten years' time and twenty years' time. Um, and it's it's got some really good plaudits. I mean, like Q Magazine's been really behind it. Um, Pitchfork, you know, raved about it. We've had we've had good accolades, but I still feel like maybe not enough people are listening to it. I think a lot of people still are like scared of the name or have preconceptions about uh, what two young women might be able to achieve in music, which is. Um, a, like an old-fashioned misogynistic view really but I think I think they are suffering it from that slightly and, and so I'm keen to push it to as many people as possible because I just think it's the most important music it's, it's brilliant okay well to push it to as many people um, where can people find out about what transgressive are doing uh, well we have like transgressive.co.uk is our site we have um, playlists on Spotify and Apple Music which have like uh, our new release playlist has you know all of the like singles remixes mm -hmm. and things that we put up one by one and we try and get all of our music out available everywhere really so it should be in in all good record shops and you know we put out a lot of great records and um, yeah albums and singles and uh, like come and engage with us and you know, it's our 15th this year, so we'll be doing some big parties and stuff. Which Fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, thank, you. thank you. And when this comes out, I'll ensure that on all the social media platforms, we'll tag Transgressive in and uh, so great. people can go and have a, have a look and see what's happening. Sounds um, good. 
Tim, it's been an absolute joy. Well, absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you very cool. much. Cheers. There you have it. Another podcast finished. And yet again, it was another one when the hour finished and we pressed stop. We just carried on chatting because you know what I'm like by now if you listen to this. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a nerd for music and, and it's really nice to, to sit opposite um, and I mean this with the greatest respect to another another music nerd and uh, and just chat chat tunes. It was it was lovely. Um, thank you ever so much for listening. Um, please go and, and dig deeper into the back catalogue because you will find episodes featuring people that have been signed to Transgressive Records. Um, you will also find other people that have run labels, own labels. Um, and well, you know the drill by now. It's, it's jam-packed full of creative people uh, talking about that journey. Anyway, I'm done. I'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening. Bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Eat a